Well, good evening again, friends. It is wonderful to worship with you tonight as we begin the season together. Lent is a time of repentance and renewal in our faith journey. To help us begin this journey together, we turn to the prophet Joel as he issues both a warning but also a promise to the people. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the prophet Joel in the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet, even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly, gather the peoples, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations." Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. As some of you know, my wife Marie and I met in college while we were working at Massanetta Springs, a Presbyterian summer camp. A striking feature of the architecture of the camp was this wrought iron bell that is right in front of the dining hall there. When rung, this bell could be heard throughout the entire campgrounds. Whether you're in your cabin, the archery range, or the endless acres of hiking trails, you could hear that bell. Now, an important thing to know about this bell, it was to be used for emergencies only. Anytime the bell was rung, everyone, the campers, the counselors, directors, even the kitchen workers, all had to report to the dining hall. Now, I had already hinted at the inherent problem with this bell. It was smack dab in the middle of the camp, making it unbelievably tempting for the average 10-year-old camper or, you know, the fully adult counselor to just give it a good ring every once in a while. Needless to say, we did have a few false alarms. But every once in a while, a real emergency would sound the alarm. Whenever I heard the bell, I would immediately stop what I was doing. It would jolt me out of my schedule, out of my routine so that I could respond. For a moment, nothing else mattered except the need to respond to whatever crisis was happening. 
Like this camp bell, Joel the prophet was trying to sound an alarm to gather the people together. Our scripture begins, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Now, to blow the trumpet on Mount Zion was the ultimate camp bell or fire alarm or tornado siren for people at this time. It was primarily used as a call to arms or to warn the people of an impending crisis. Either way, it was a call for the people to gather. Joel wanted people to be disrupted from their normal routines, and this included everyone, not just the pious or the willing, but also those who under cultural norms were allowed to let such an alarm go unnoticed. The very young, the very old. Even those who were about to get married had to heed this call. So perhaps Joel's first insight us tonight about Lent is that Lent is a season that's meant to disrupt our normal order of things. A disruption is a difficult task in today's world. We live in a constantly connected world where every text, tweet, email, or call we receive corresponds with a ring, ding, buzz, or beep from our phones. But once the ashes are in place on our foreheads, and the season of Lent has begun, a trumpet is supposed to go off in each of us, telling us that this is not a normal time. And just like the trumpet blowing on Mount Zion, this alarm rings out to everyone. But why does Joel want to alarm his people, and by extension, us? In his prophecy, he says that there's either a figurative or literal plague of locusts, which he says is like a fire engulfing the land. Something devastating is going on. He says that the day of the Lord is near. This is a common phrase back in ancient Israel. Normally it was used to predict God's protection and care of Israel, but Joel, like a few other prophets, reverses this phrase as a day of judgment rather than redemption for Israel. Something terrible is happening in the land plague, invasion, exile, and Joel says that the sinfulness of Israel is to blame. Their only hope is to drop everything and repent and ask for God to save them from disaster. Now, Joel's magic word for repentance that he uses throughout this text is return. Through Joel, God says, yet even now return to me. The gloom and doom of the day of the Lord is paired with God's gracious invitation for return. Yet, even now, there is hope for our return to God. One scholar says that the Hebrew word for return means to arrive again at the original point of departure. It means that God is inviting us back to the relationship we once had with the Creator, back before the first sin of humankind. To return meant that one would have to turn away from the things that separated them from God so that they might be able to turn back towards God. When you think about it, this is truly the meaning of Lent. In Lent, we join Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and nights as we prepare yet again for Christ's death and resurrection. Traditionally, this is a time in the church where people hoping to become Christians would spend 40 days in devoted study, learning the Apostles' Creed, while also devoting themselves to repentance and fasting. 
On Easter, they'd be baptized, culminating their spiritual return to God. Friends, just like these hopeful Christians, Joel is inviting us to follow Christ into the wilderness so that we can once again return to God. So he's sounding the alarm on Mount Zion so that the people might return to God. But how how do we return? What does that look like? He tells the people a, a very interesting phrase. He tells them to rend your hearts and not your clothes. For Joel, this is the essence of what it means to return to God. The heart at this time was considered the place of thinking and willing in the human body. So when Joel says to rend or tear your hearts and not your clothes, he means that the return to God requires the total dedication of the person. It means that your outward expressions and rituals of repentance must reflect an inward act of mourning, of wholeheartedly turning away from sin, the things that separate us from God and one another, that we might turn back towards God. It's a change of direction, a drastic 180-degree turn. And this turn cannot merely be done on the outside through ritual and actions without something deeper happening within. This idea of the inward reflecting the outward gets us to one of the most common acts of Lent. You know, the one that wrangles the conscience of many well-intentioned Christians each year. Should I give up something for Lent this year? And if so, do Sundays count? What do you think the prophet Joel might say? Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Joel wouldn't want people to give up something for Lent simply because they felt like they had to, or because they feel like that's what good Christians do, or especially as a backup plan for our already failed New Year's resolutions. But if something in your life gets in the way of your wholehearted return to God, then by all means give it up. And don't just give it up for Lent. If something is truly getting in the way of your return to God, give it up for good. One ancient church father, Gregory of Nazianin, had a special interest in this passage and the return to God that Joel describes. He called it a mercy unto ourselves, and here's my favorite, an open road to our Father's affections. It is an open road because God invites everyone to return and invites us continuously. Yet even now there is hope for our return. No matter how separated we might feel from God, no matter how distant God may seem for us, these words give us hope that our gracious God is always calling, always reaching out for us to return. Like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home, like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child, our God is faithful still. For the prophet Joel, Lent is supposed to be alarming. It's meant to disrupt us from our normal routines. Why? So that we might return to God by rending our hearts and not our clothes, that we might be reconciled with our gracious Lord. So friends, may it be for us, may it be so for us on our Lenten journeys. May the outward ashes we receive on our foreheads tonight reflect the inward repentance and hope for renewal and return by god's spirit may we be guided to the open road of our father's affections 
And may this road lead us away from that which separates us from God. And through the palm procession into Jerusalem, to the cross, and ultimately the empty tomb. The place where, yet even now, our return to God has already been secured. Amen. So now that we have heard God's word read and prepared,